It's like playing a game of basketball, but you raise the net a little bit or change one of the rules. Then you hit something like COVID and it's like playing the game of basketball, but let's play with taking the, the entire baskets away, take them off the court. And what happened when COVID hit? We took the entire workplace where all this was supposed to happen away. We, we fundamentally changed the rules of the game that we had learned were so necessary to play. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. The home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a podcast show from the People Forward Network. I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being a part of Googleization Nation. And I think I forgot my name. I'm Ira Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you didn't know me by now. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of Crucial Conversations, focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and business. We are going to be hearing from David Shar. He's an organizational consultant. As we discuss burnout and meaningful work, can't think of a more appropriate topic. Just got, I know you just got off a call, and I, I was in another call about that. Just can't wait to hear from David. He is the founder of the consulting firm Illuminate PMC, which helps businesses maximize dormant assets for dramatic results. He's also a speaker, corporate trainer, adjunct professor at the University of Maryland in the Industrial Organizational Psychology Program. Yeah, we are thrilled to have him on today, Iron. Like you said, I mean, this topic of burnout and mental health, it is so paramount right now. In fact, a couple months ago, there's there's not much that shocks me anymore. This one did shock me that I found from the World Health Organization. They found last year through their studies that around 10 to 25% of diagnosed mental health disorders are attributable to unhealthy work environments. Am I good? Just let that sink in that one in 10 to up to one in four of diagnosed mental health illness is due to unhealthy work environments. And I know personally, even though I'm a psychologist, so many times when I think of mental health at work, the first thing my mind jumps to is, oh, you're diagnosed already with something that you're dealing with. And then that's something that you bring with you to work. But in this context, we're also starting to see now that you can be completely healthy and not have mental illness. You go to a toxic culture or work environment, and it can actually induce and create a mental illness for you. And so what a timely topic. And I'm glad that we have David here today to help us with his expertise on the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show as we dive into this topic. Jason, this is so relevant. And again, every almost every conversation evolves around anymore, seems to revolve around stress and burnout and mental health and engagement. And especially, you know, we're still having this great resignation and, and you know, stress. The stress factors are just not going away when everybody thought that as the as soon as the pandemic ends, we'll get back to normal. Now we have, you know, global tensions like we've not had for 60, 60 years. But to follow up on what you were saying in, in one of the present one of the conversations I had this morning, there was a study by MetLife 
and they indicated that 30% of employees said they felt burnt out, which is sort of on par with what you're talking about, you know, up to that 25%. However, and this is where this just resonates with what you said, 66% reported symptoms of the World Health Organization's definition of burnout. So there's only, there's less than half of the people who are feeling burnt out actually recognize the signs, burnout and, and stress. And, and for employers who say, well, we've got our EAP programs and we got these things under control and we're addressing them and we're working on our culture and, and we're aware of it and we have, you know, we're introducing flexible work. Great. But just from an ROI, employees without, and this is from the same study, employees without mental health concerns showed an 86% productivity, 86% met expectations of productivity. For employees with mental health concerns, 60% met expectations. Almost a third jump. Same thing with engagement. 79% of those without mental health concerns said they were engaged. Only 47%, almost half who had, who had mental health concerns that they were engaged. So all the things that companies are trying to fix, they go about it, new programs, new benefits, more compensation. You can work from home one day a week. All these things aren't addressing the real problem. That's exactly right. And as you often call it, Ira, we're living in the never normal times. And, and I'm afraid that so many people now think that working and feeling burned out is just what you're supposed to do. Everybody feels this way. And it's like, no, there is a better tomorrow. It's not normal to feel burned out. And there is a clear path of things that organizations can do and people can do both in order to dig themselves out of the burnout hole. And that's exactly why, you know, we're excited to have David with his expertise to be on the show with us today to give us those tips and tricks of how we can help folks with that. And so without further ado, Roxy, let's go ahead and bring on David to the show. Hello. Hi, David. Hey, thank you both. It's such a it's such a pleasure to be here. And I love some of the, I was taking notes on some of the stats that you are. The the stats are coming in so quick. All these studies, like Iris said, it's it's this is a big, big topic and and we're in the fire right now. So all all of the new studies that are coming up out every day. It's uh, it's interesting to try to track it from inside. And David, I mean, you and I were supposed to meet almost two years ago this time. And then we were, you know, that meeting got interrupted by COVID. And instead I met Jason on a virtual experience uh, because I had to reach out a, about what do you think is going to happen after COVID when people start to go back to work? And they had no idea it was going to be two years, uh, we, th- we were talking about what happens in three or six months when people mm-hmm. finally go back to the workplace of uh, what the stress was. And we talked about P- PTSD, again, you know, mental illness with, with little expectation that it would, that would be, you know, 24 months later, and we're still trying to figure it out. And it's actually maybe worse than what we expected, but still companies didn't recognize it. So we tried, Jason, to give everybody a heads up, but uh, they didn't <laughs> listen. So maybe after today, they'll, they'll do that. But uh, really, welcome, David, and it's great to have you have you here. Let's get your perspective on this. It seems obvious, but maybe it's not because people aren't addressing it. Why do so many people feel burnt out? Why are so many people stressed? Because we've had challenging times. You know, we're talking about 
I'm old, older than you guys, and, and and I recognize, you know, sometimes things just go around. But, you know, 60s, uh, Vietnam War, inflation, gas wars, you know, early 70s. I remember, you know, I can only get gas on odd and even days. You know, the price went up. We had uncontrollable inflation. I mean, the news is very similar, and we came out of it. Why is it so much worse this time for people? Yeah, I think, and Ira, by the way, when I was in, when you recently sent me a LinkedIn message about this show, and I saw that the last message exchange was like March 13th or 14th or something, saying, hey, we're going to be in Indianapolis at the same time, speaking of the exactly. same conference. I mean, look what happened with, with the world. That was, that was a long, long time ago. That was back in 2020. But I think, I think you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of change over time, and there's been a lot of stress over time and uncertainty. But this seemed like the perfect storm where you have this loss of control coupled with the loss of support. So we all sort of went into our own little home offices or whatever we had, and we didn't have all the level of deep connection that we typically would have to help us move through something like this. But even more so, I think that, you know, burnout was recognized by, by the World Health Organization for the first time officially in 2019, right before, only months before the pandemic. Right. So burnout was increasing over time. What I think happened was when the world paused and completely got flipped on its head, we all had something that you don't normally get in a capitalistic sort of rat race society. We had time to reevaluate and the opportunity to reevaluate when everything changed. There's a, there's a, a great, some great research by Connie Gersick. She wrote, she wrote this very like dated research now, but it's very relevant still. She talks about how change, we go through these periods of equilibrium where yes, people wanted to telework. So maybe we have like, yeah, telework on Fridays or you know, casual Friday, these little things, but really we all just wanna keep our equilibrium. And then we have these periods of revolution where something happens that what I love about, about her article is this, is this metaphor where she talks about how in these equilibrium periods, it's like playing a game of basketball, but you raise the net a little bit or change one of the rules. Then you hit something like COVID and it's like playing the game of basketball, but let's play with taking the, the entire baskets away, take them off the court. And what happened when COVID hit? We took the entire workplace where all this was supposed to happen away. We we fundamentally changed the rules of the game that we had learned were so necessary to play. And I think, I think that and so many other things layered in, like facing our own mortality, I think all of that together created this perfect storm where, where in a lot of ways we are facing in, in the midst of a new workers revolution. That's fascinating, Dave. The, the analogy to basketball is so apropos right now with March Madness literally yeah. starting today. And I'm a Purdue Boilermaker fan. And <laughs> what I'm worried about is the team they could potentially play in the second round is the coach that's knocked them out in the first round a couple years over the last few years. And so you have to be able to adapt 
at whatever's coming at you in the NCAA tournament if you want to advance and ultimately become a champion. And as I was hearing you speak, I couldn't help but think about that analogy of, you know, we want equilibrium, but Ira, as our, our he's our resonant adaptability expert, he's preaching from the mountain of it's not always looking to your environment, expecting it to come back into equilibrium. How do you become more like water and become adaptable so that regardless of the context and environment around you, you can keep your head above water? And so I'm looking forward to hearing both you and Ira talk about where does adaptability fit into this equation of helping people get their feet back underneath them to help with the mental wellness, to help with the burnout, regardless sometimes of the circumstances that are going on around. Because let's be honest, some organizations are going to say, we're not going to budge. We are who we are. And then some hard decisions have to be made. Are there certain pieces with adaptability that you often recommend to help people navigate burnout and mental wellness at work? Yeah, I think that I think that a big piece of that adaptability, and Ira, I know this is your expertise when we talk about adaptability, but a big piece is to know the difference between the structure and and the and you know the employee handbook piece of it all and the culture. And we often think that we can sort of pull the strings by changing, you know, the structure of the organization or the rules of the game. But but in reality, we get so stuck in our own, you know, habit cycles that we that the culture is really something that we are all a victim to and simultaneously the perpetrator of. And so when we look at traditionally how we deal with things like burnout, we bring in outside experts to talk to our employees about how to toughen up and you know how to be more resilient or we come bring somebody in to talk about how we can change you know the structure and the strategy etc what we what we really need to be doing is understanding that this is a living organism these organizations where everybody needs to come together with these changes we need to we need to handle them in in a you know and and Jason in our earlier discussion you talked about collaboration you know, we have to be collaborating better between leadership and employees at every level. We all need to be on the same page. David, again, all these conversations just keep converging and merging. Right. And on this call that I was on this morning, and it was really 25 people focused on helping organizational changes. Some were coaches working with individuals, some were organizational change. But the, a couple of things that were missing, and this was a new report that came out by McKinsey, and, and I don't know these stats offhand, so I'm going to read them. But, you know, organizations are focused on this great resignation or the great reshuffle or the, the great remake or whatever name you want to call it. Yeah. And they're looking at what benefits or how much more money and, and all these things. But when it comes down to it is that people were looking, and you said it brilliantly, that over the last two years, what this allowed us to do was reflect. And I was like, I don't have to spend 10, 15, 20 hours a week commuting and in senseless meetings. And yes, I'd like to see my coworkers and see my boss and get out and have some lunches and things, but we can change. So McKinsey did was they looked at the causes of the great, what they call the great attrition. Restoring work-life balance was, was 65% said that was the number one reason that they are choosing to look for another job or leaving. 
being able to prioritize physical and emotional well-being again, 63%. Not now, here's other things that can be fixed. And this goes back to what Jason was talking about with, with the adaptability. We use a framework called ACE, A-C-E. A is abilities. Those are the things like grit, resilient mindset, characters, personality. And I'm in the te- personality testing business. So I get all these calls is we need the right personality. And in fact, it influences adaptability, but it it's not the driver of it. People can change, can flex that easily. But the piece that's missed that organizations seem to want to dump on, I'll be interested to get your perspective on this. They want to fix people. It's like, we want to either hire the people who are already adaptable, resilient, have grit, all this stuff, or we, we're going to fix them. We're going to offer them a training program and give them three months to fix all their broken pieces. But what organizations don't do is they don't provide a psychologically safe space to do it. It's like, if you don't change and you don't become more adaptable, you're out, you know, or you're not getting the raise or you're not getting the promotion, or we're just, we'll continue to pay you, but we're going to neglect you. <laughs> we're just going to ignore you because you're a body in a seat and we need bodies and seats because it's better than nothing, but we don't care. 50, 63% or I'm sorry, 52% said, I don't feel valued by my manager. And fifth and half said, I don't feel a sense of belonging, which is team support, which is one of the measures we measure company support and team support in this ACE model in, in the AQ. It's incredible. I mean, this is just how stupid can companies be when it's like, why are half my people leaving? Because they don't believe you care about them. Yeah. I love so much of, of what you said about that, that mismatch. One of the things that really struck me about what you just said was, you know, from the McKinsey study saying, I believe they said restoring work-life balance. And I'm sitting here thinking, restoring work-life balance? When did we have work-life balance? We never had work-life balance. And then, and then, you know, I talk a lot about this mass customization of work where we, we took this step with customers, where we had to do this mass customization because everybody wants it their way. We used to think of a fair workplace, which really ties into burnout when people find their workplace is unfair. But we used to see fairness as equality, that everybody sort of gets the same thing. But we're moving towards seeing it as equity, that everybody needs something different. And and I think it's really essential that we start customizing the experience for people. We see overwhelmingly that the people who want to work from home are women much more than men and mothers and mothers specifically and people of color more often than than um than their white counterparts and so we see these we see these divides and if we don't start really customizing and thinking what's best for the individual and not us thinking but asking them right if they're not part of this process we're going to see ourselves become less equitable and have less inclusion. And we're just going to intensify problems that we've already had. And so, and so what can we do about this? By the way, that, that same study, I forget where it was, but, but they surveyed people and they found that, that they were one of many that found that, that mothers were overwhelmingly ones looking for more telework or remote work. They also found that fathers with children under the age of 18 were the most likely to say they want to come back to work and come back to work immediately and full time. I don't know what that says about fathers, but 
I won't say that I don't necessarily fall into that statistic, but you know, there's there's so much more here than just throwing money at the problem. One of one of the the most fascinating pieces of this for me actually comes from social media from reddit.com. On reddit.com, anti-work during like their subreddit, which is a forum, it's a discussion forum. Their their sub forum in this called anti-work went from about 100,000 people in 2020 to I think the last time I checked was like 1.8 million subscribers to this forum. And when you go on there, yes, they mention money and there's a lot of talk about money, but it's always within the context of equity. And it's not just about money. It's about respect. It's about balance. It's about having, being valued at work. This is what people are saying. David, that's so funny you bring that up because I follow that subreddit. Yeah. And and it's a comedy and a tragedy, yeah. both like Shakespeare said. I'm looking at it and laughing. The professional side of me is like, and this is just because a lot of the posts, like you alluded to, they're complaining about their bosses and they'll post text messages that they have yeah. with their manager that are saying, hey, I told you a month ago, I'm going to be gone for these days. And the manager is replying with something like, doesn't matter. We're short staffed. Nobody's available to work. You come in or you're fired. Those kind of things and leads to this anti-work attitude. And, and I just can't help but think, you know, that you said there was a big spike in people thinking, you know what, there might be something better out there. Like maybe I need to get off this hamster wheel that I'm on and find some respect. Like Ira was alluding to. Yeah, David, yeah. I'm going to take an opportunity here to, to kind of break in. And because we're the hosts, and I guess we can do that, uh, <laughs> although it's rude to the guests. But I had the privilege of, of, of being a contributor to and being a spokesman for a new report that just came out. And it's called the Everywhere, Everywhere Workplace. And it's from Avanti. And next Tuesday, just for all our, our listeners, next Tuesday, which is May 22nd at 11 a.m., we're going to be doing a live stream. We'll do a special edition of Geek Skeezers Googleization, and Jason will be there. But we're also going to have the CEO, Jeff, Jeff Albert, Abbott, sorry, Jeff Abbott, and their global VP, who I met when, we, when I was in New York last week doing a media blitz about this report. And the reason to introduce that is, is one is that you can go, you can either connect with Jason or me. I'm sure you'll see the information up there to be able to watch it live or watch it on the, uh, or you can go to YouTube. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Ira Wolf. And right on the first playlist, it'll be up there on the Geek Skeezers Googleization and you can get a reminder to, to be able to join or listen to the, to the replay. But the reason that I, I what triggered that was that in the survey, there was about 66,000 plus people, over 40%, both male and female, selected that they're looking for more work-life balance and, or, and, and in turn, a flexible, which means a flexible workplace. Now that could be hybrid, it could be remote, it could be in person, but it still has to be flexible, which requires this huge shift to adjust to their and again, people were stressed out. The other thing that you said, which was really interesting, is is women and and people of color really do like the do, do prefer the flexible or a hybrid work environment, where men fear that. And one of the reasons was the number one reason that men wanted to go back to work 
was for career development and promotion. <laughs> they feel that they're being overlooked by being remote where that was ne not necessarily not that women aren't driven and they don't like to be recognized and promoted, but, but they were looking for that engagement, that collaboration, that participation, be able to utilize their skills where men were more driven, not all, but more men were driven by a drive to, they felt that they were overlooked as we went through a remote work. So lots of interesting things. And, I, and I'm going to apologize up front to who, who either the organization or the person that mentioned this in a LinkedIn thread yesterday, but you brought up people of color working, uh, adopting the hybrid flexible work environment. Again, women and people of color prefer that because the old normal was filled with bias, inequities, and microaggressions. Mm -hmm. So they found that it's a much safer environment to work from home or work remotely than it was to go back to the workplace because there was less microaggressions that were going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about men being more driven, I think it's worth digging deep into that because we know when we look at when we look at the the wage gap, right, between men and women, when you start really digging into that, there's a lot going on there. And one of the things is that men are much better at exaggerating, if not downright lying on their resume, right? <laughs> They're much more assertive in asking for more. There's less of a stigma when they ask for more, right? So, so all of these things play into it. And right now, what, what you have, if you, I remember way back in the day, my first business course ever, I had an old Black & Decker retiree as an adjunct professor. And first business course and first lesson in the first class, he tells us, get in with the power core. That was the first thing I learned about business, that if you want to move up, you get in with the power core. And so if you have the opportunity to be part of that power core, you don't get promoted and, and it's backwards, but you don't get promoted because of great work product. You get promoted because of those conversations in the break room or on the golf course mm -hmm. way too often. So if you can tap into that, maybe maybe that's where the drive comes in because we know we can go and, and tap into that. And also this imposter syndrome of like, well, if you're only looking at my work product, that's never been so good. I was told tap into the power core, right? It's a whole different skill set suddenly. <laughs> So I wonder how much that potentially plays into it. So we're, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, you brought up something and it was not on our list of questions that we talked about, but as we talk about people of color and men and women, really be interested to hear your perspective or what, you know, any stats or, or research that you know of that looks at the differences between Gen Z Gen, and millennials and also, so the boomers. So we have this workforce. So not only do we need to personalize how we approach individuals by age and gender or, or by by gender. Uh, but what about by age or, you know, and again, chronological age or mindset, because I'm millennial in the baby boomer body. So chronologically, I should be out of this picture. You know, otherwise I'm, I'm deep into it. But we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to give you some time to think about that. You are listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. I'm here with my co-host Jason Cochran and David Shar, who is our guest. We will be right back in 60 seconds. Change doesn't pick favorites. 
No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well-prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. Hey, welcome back, Geeks, and Googleization listeners. I really appreciate you being here. I'm Ira Wolf. I'm here with uh, Jason Cochran, and our guest today is David Shar. We've been talking about mental illness and burnt out, burnout. David, uh, before we left, we were talking about some of the differences uh, between genders of how they approached work and flexible work and who is, you know, different aspects of stress. Are you seeing anything different between the the generations, the age groups of how they're responding? So I've actually seen some conflicting schedule, some com- conflicting research, some saying that recent graduates want to be at work. It's it's hard to sort of get that sense of community and sort of get in there and, and, and make a name for yourself, et cetera. Um, but I'm also seeing some things that say that, that, you know, younger workers want to work remotely because why should we have to be at the office? So I teach graduate level students teach them IO psychology. And what I found fascinating was the other day we were doing this, we were going through McClellan's motivation theory, which is basically that there's three core motivations, right? That people have. It's either power, accomplishment, or or affiliation, right? Do I want, do I want people, you know, relationships? Do I want to accomplish things or or do I want power? And I was a little surprised that nearly everybody in the course, and these people definitely skew younger than me. They, most of them have a lot more hair than I do. And, and but, but I was a little surprised that they all put sort of like, as we went around the room, they put power on the bottom of the list. But what was really surprising to me was the conversation that was struck up about this, that they really overwhelmingly saw power as an evil. Power was this, was this evil thing. Why would I want power? Power corrupts. And so when you talk about being at work and working your way up the ladder and things like that, I think that especially younger younger employees and people just making their way into the workforce, they have a lot of reasons to distrust our current, our current systems, to distrust leadership. And not that people didn't have that in the 60s and 70s, you know, but, but then they became the leaders, so now they like it. But, you know... But I, I do think that there are some stark differences there just based on experience, as well as, you know, growing up with, you know, the technology has got to make it a lot, a lot easier. They know how to build their personal brand on online, which maybe some of the more seasoned employees don't have mastery of. 
so interesting, David. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ira. Yeah, no, just a quick comment. I'll, I'll go back to you, Jason. I too, I mean, I've got a lot of uh, recent grads, young workers on my LinkedIn connections, but I too, I'm teaching a, a, ma- a master's level class and a lot of them are recent grads. And the thing about recent grads is many of them have never gone to work. Not that they haven't worked. They've never gone right. to work because of the pandemic or they were working a virtual or job. So for juniors and seniors, and it's like, hey, they, they graduated in 20. 2020, 2021, 2022, it's coming up. They've actually never had to go to a corporate office. Yeah. They don't even know what that experience is. Yeah. It's like the look I get from my, my, you know, three-year-old when I show her a CD player. It's, it's an archaic sort of. How about an eight track? (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll up you. Right. (laughs) You, you win. (laughs) That's exactly what you're alluding to is, you know, those students, they're looking at traditional capitalism and trickle down economics. And they're saying that thing's an eight track, right? We've got a much better experience now in the form of stakeholder capitalism in terms of certified B Corps, in terms of ESG, the way that we think about human capital. We now have the research that these types of things that we've been talking about for the last 10 to 20 years is no longer in fairy tale land. Those companies in the S&P 500, the ones that are taking those approaches are outperforming the traditional capitalism. It's just about the shareholders kind of mentality. And so with that in mind, David, I'm curious, you asked me on your show to pull out the crystal ball, you know, when we're thinking about works place in our lives and how it contributes to our mental wellness and burnout and things like that. You asked me the question and pull up my crystal ball. What does the future look like in organizations? I want to ask you that same question. When you're pulling out your crystal ball, what do you see the future of work looking like when we talk about its context within burnout and mental wellness? Yeah, I, I think it looks a lot more flexible than it ever has in a lot of different ways. I think that organizations that say, okay, we're going remote, that's what we're doing. I think we're gonna have future yahoos, right? Where where end up bringing everybody back because it's not working or whatever. I think that organizations that say, everybody come back to the office, COVID is over, are gonna have equal, equally large issues I think it's going to come down to flexibility and understanding what jobs and what individuals within those jobs need and require in terms of where people work. But I think it's going to be flexibility of time and flexibility of space. And we're going to have to figure out what those things are. And some early research I've seen suggests that maybe flexibility of time is more important for a lot of people. And even though the conversation typically surrounds flexibility of space, and I think, I think we're going to really have to answer to these demands and figure out that, you know, with an 18 point something percent increase in wages across the board within the service industry, we still cannot find people to work behind the counter in, in a fast food joint. We can't. We're going to have to figure out why we have this, you know, 80,000 trucker shortage right within our supply chain despite the fact that truckers can make over a hundred thousand dollars a year it's not about the bottom line we can't keep throwing money at the problem we need to actually tap into the greater needs which overwhelmingly is becoming clear that it's about 
wellness in every regard. And the way to do that is through flexibility, understanding, you know, it's almost that switch that we had where used to be that, that, you know, if you were woke and you were, and you were really into societal concerns, you would say, yeah, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Now that's one of the least appropriate things you could ever say, because if you don't see color, then you don't understand the differences in experience that people on average, obviously, you know, are experiencing and you're not open to that. And I think at work, you know, when we look at equity in all forms, we're going to start to recognize that equity trumps equality and we're going to have to figure out how to make that happen. So I think there is going to be this mass customization of work. I think that we're going to move closer to that gig economy that we've been growing anyway. But I think, you know, maybe we won't call them gig workers. Maybe they'll still be, you know, W2, whatever, whatever it is, but, but we're, but we're going to see a lot more flexibility from organizations that want to survive and thrive through this. You know, David, a leader who exemplifies that future you just painted, and then I'm going to send it over to Ira for our last segment here, is Dan Price. He's a CEO of Gravity Payments. He, he's in the news a lot because he's the one who set the $70,000 a year minimum wage salary in his company, gave himself a pay cut. He never struggles anytime there's a vacancy to get people to come want to work at Gravity Payments. He just posted something on Twitter yesterday, and he said, you know, we did a survey in our company of our employees to see how they wanted to work. And he posted the results. Basically it's a, a third wanted to work from home exclusively. A third wanted to come into the office exclusively. A third wanted a hybrid approach. And he goes, you know what my response was? Great. Do what you want. <laughs> and right. the flexibility you're talking about, you know, obviously there's going to be some industries where it's harder to do that than others, but to the extent where that flexibility can be accommodated, empowering your people to make the right decisions for themselves. I think that's a wonderful future you've just painted. And we have examples of leaders like Dan Price who are doing that right now. Yeah, great. Big fan of this. Hey, David, we have this habit of having these great conversations and wondering how we're going to fill up 45 minutes of time <laughs> and then realizing that we barely scratched the surface. And, and here we are, and we've just done that. So we're going to kind of wrap up our session with you and hopefully you'll come back another time. But before we do that, we have our one of our favorite parts is is the lightning round is what don't we know about David? <laughs> that was good. So if you were to win the lottery tomorrow, what would you do? I would continue to do everything that I'm doing, but maybe outsource some of the some of the more tedious paperwork stuff. I I'm lucky. I love absolutely everything that I do, and I'm not just saying that. And I loved it. My very first job when I was scooping poop in kennels because I, I was able to frame it, that I was creating a healthier place for the dogs under my care. And, and, uh, and I think, I think, yeah, so I don't know that I would change. I don't know that I would change much. You must have followed the Herb Kelleher, Kelleher <laughs> model at Southwest. When, when they interviewed the mechanics or the maintenance workers in the, in the hangars and they asked them what they did and it was, we help people fly safely. Yeah. You know, right. yeah so, so it sounds like when growing up that your first job, you were a pooper scooper. What did you want to be? What did you want to, beyond that, what was your goal? Yeah, so I originally wanted to be a veterinarian and that's where I was moving up through all this stuff. I really loved caring for the pets. 
but it became this joint decision between me and every physics and chemistry professor I ever had <laughs> that maybe I should switch to business or psychology. So I decided to take those both on. But while working in these kennels, what I found was that it wasn't just about caring for the animals. The surprise was the, the sort of weight of caring for owners who were bringing in their animals to be euthanized and then owners who are bringing in their brand new puppies. And I, and I found that I connected so closely with those big human experiences. Last question. You have a favorite book you'd recommend? Yeah. So I just finished reading with my son, who's 14. We read David Goggins' new book. Uh, it's called Can't Hurt Me. And the guy is so hardcore. I don't know if you know David Goggins, but he's a, a Navy SEAL who also went through Army Ranger training, does ultra marathons. He pushes himself to the absolute limit. I don't necessarily know how healthy that is. But from us, you know, humans to look toward that and find some place, some happy place in the middle, it was quite an inspiring journey to take with my 14-year-old son. David, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, they can uh, find me on my website, illuminatepmc.com for performance management consultants. Also, a great way to, to continue the conversation is through LinkedIn. I'm there often. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And you can you can connect with me, private message me. Love to continue this conversation. And and I too, we 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 need to to pick up this conversation after two years. And it was great Absolutely. meeting you today. Thank you for being here. Hopefully, you'll uh, join us again. Come back. Yes, thank you. And I've had Jason. I need to have you on uh, the Water Cooler Wednesday show. That send I me the calendar. About. Let me know. We got it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, David. Stay thank safe. You. Thanks, David. Thank you. Jason, we've we got just a few minutes here. Just couldn't stop that conversation. Quick take. We're into a lightning round of takeaways. What's your what's your takeaway? Yeah, I love his focus on the organization, you know, and talking about how through the organizational edge, things have to change there first. That it can't just be about personal change and uh, helping equip people like bringing training in and saying, hey, we're going to train you to become more resilient as people because we're going to be inflexible on our end. Things aren't going to change. That's a recipe for disaster. It's got to be, yes, equipping people with skills, but also adapting the environment and the demands and things so that people can optimally work too. There's a lot of confirmation, but I love David's narrative. Just puts the, it, it, it makes sense and hope our listeners got a lot out of that. So we are almost at the end of our show today, Jason. It's hard to believe, like you said, it's like every week, how do we fill up the 45 minutes? And we do because our guests are so incredible. And we'll be looking forward to, to next week as well. But until then, I'm Jason Cochran. We want to thank our listeners, Googleization Nation, for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, please do that for us. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. And then also, if you'd be so kind, leave us a review as well. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.